But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome back to Toronto. Thank you. Uh, I am also back in Toronto. I was in a less glamorous place. We were both in New York, the state of New York. <laughs> yes. Uh, you've just gotten back from the US Open, and we've got a lot to talk about. I think this will be more of a non-traditional kind of midway Grand Slam wrap, because this is the first time The Body Serve has been at a Grand Slam tournament. It was an experience and a half. I'm sure it was. You were there for 10 days. I can't remember the last time we were apart for 10 days. I feel like it wasn't that long ago, actually. It was one time when you could go back to the U.S. during the pandemic, but I couldn't. Oh, yes. Okay, but before that, it was a long time. <laughs> you had... Did you miss me? Of course I did. <laughs> Vince missed you, too. I do not believe that. <laughs> Vince didn't know where he was half the time. Uh, you saw some of qualifying. You were there for a Serena Williams match against Annette Contivate. Mm -hmm. You saw like first, second rounds. I saw Venus and Serena play doubles. It was a pretty full schedule. And you had a, a friend reunion while uh -huh. you were there. It was uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They were 12 to 14 hour days. Yes. it It is very exhausting being at a tennis tournament. Uh, especially if you have day and night session tickets. It's mm -hmm. just a lot. And I imagine it was very hot. It was. There's nothing more to add other than it was. <laughs> <laughs> and and the honey deuces don't really help, I'm sure. Alcohol is not exactly refreshing. It absolutely was a, a, a big help to me. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that. Where do you want to start? I feel like the natural start of this is to talk about Serena's journey at this tournament and then make our way back to some of my observations about the tournament, about the site, about the matches I saw, and then where we are at the actual tournament right now. Okay. Serena's return and evolution away from tennis was the biggest story of week one. It resulted in some of the biggest attendance days in U.S. Open history, and just all-around celebration. It was lovely to see that because, obviously, we haven't always seen that at the U.S. Open. She's had kind of a difficult history, and there are a lot of painful moments for her and for her fans. So it it felt like a cathartic week. My hope for Serena's journey at this tournament, if I put it out there that I didn't think she was going to win this tournament, I'd made peace with that. I don't yeah. think many people outside of her, maybe, expected her to win this tournament. And so for me, it was, can the fans send her off properly? Can her tennis meet the moment? I didn't want to see Serena go out in a whimper. No. And she roared her way to the end at this tournament. It was from start to finish all that I could have asked for, for this moment. Her tennis was markedly improved uh, from her earlier matches in the summer. This wasn't a bagel to Radicanu. This was Serena who clearly put in a lot of work in the interim between Cincinnati and the U.S. Open. 
And when you do that, of course, at her age and with all of her long-term injuries, you fear that she could get injured again Mm -hmm. just in training. But she came out of training quicker. Like, I think that was the, the most noticeable improvement, that she was just much quicker around the court, which she desperately needed if she wanted to win some matches here. There was still a lot more tension in some of her ground strokes than I would have liked, Mm -hmm. especially on the forehand. But she got through Kovanec in straight sets, took out the number two player in the world in the second round with some stunning tennis. (laughs) Now, this match was so incredibly tense. I watched it at home with my parents. Uh, They set up a TV in the garage. You were at the stadium, so I should probably let you take this away. I should also say that watching this match put into stark relief just how different it is to watch tennis live as opposed to on TV. There are so many things from this match that I did not get Mm -hmm. or know happened because I was there. It wasn't until I got back to the hotel room and was scrolling through Twitter. For example, I did not know that it was Shino who accompanied Serena to the bathroom. (laughs) Had no idea. Being in that stadium, in that crowd, in that moment, with everything that was on the line for Serena and for her to meet that moment and then some, was the greatest live sporting experience I've ever had in my life and likely ever will. Wow. I I had to, after that match, I tried to call you and for whatever reason, because you were in the US, your phone wasn't working. I, you still need to sort that out. And failing that, I just had to... Find a quiet corner. I walked all the way over to some picnic benches behind Court 17 and just sat there in silence for about 20 minutes. <laughs> just trying to calm down. Mm-hmm. I imagine the atmosphere was extremely charged. It was it was very loud on TV, of course. And it was just extremely emotional for anybody who's been watching her for all these years. She ekes out the first set in a tie break and then really gets outplayed in the second Mm -hmm. a huge momentum shift she goes to the bathroom as you said and the third set is is a really different serena who emerges and it just it just felt like determination she was asked is there anything specific that she did in the bathroom on that bathroom break to change the course of the match and her response was well let's just say i came back a little bit lighter It wasn't number two, though. (laughs) (laughs) Which I feel underlines the the ludicrousness of this question. It's common in the sport, but why why do we ask players what they do in the bathroom? What is it that you think happens? They change their clothes or they go to the loo. Right, or they they look in the mirror and they have this like biopic moment where they say, Serena Williams, you are going to win this match. You are one of one. I'm number one. I'm the only one. (laughs) The question was predicated on, I forget who, but some other player said they gave themselves a a talking tour or something. Yeah, I think it was Novak. Yeah. And did you have a similar moment? (laughs) She was like, I just went to the bathroom, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And if she did have a similar moment, she's not going to tell you. Mm -hmm. She's going to write about it in Vogue or something. Given everything that she's been through this summer in the lead up to this tournament, this was a a seismic win in this moment. It was enormous. Granted, Annette Kantavate was coming back from a bout of long COVID. We don't know what her current 
physical situation is, but she played well. She met the moment she, in that match. She absolutely did. I mean, she played her heart out. You know, she returned extremely well. She was meeting Serena's flat ground strokes. And this is Annette coming off a string of just really disappointing results. And I feel like this this probably gave her game a boost. Not big enough to overcome this moment. There was a lot of talk after the match of the crowd's behavior toward Annette. And it was fueled by, in her press conference, once she segued from the English-speaking section of it, she broke down in tears and left the press conference. Mm -hmm. Saying, you know, I knew what to expect. I did my best. But at the end of the day, it was it was too much. That's, that's the, the crux of it. A lot of folks were incredibly unkind to her. Because this is one of... Those moments where multiple things are absolutely true. Yes, you come into this match after seeing what happened in the first round with Kovinic, and you know what the crowd is going to be like. You prepare yourself for that. You get through the match. Is it pleasant? No. Can you prepare for the magnitude of the moment? Can you prepare for just how loud the crowd was? Can you be prepared for the crowd cheering an error every single time you make one? Which is what happened. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of booing there was going on. I didn't didn't personally hear that. I wasn't focused on that, Mm -hmm. let's say. But the crowd was definitely 100% pro-Serena, except for one woman. (laughs) Of course she was near you. Always (laughs) near you. (laughs) But there's just no way emotionally to prepare for all of that. And for her to be overcome by it. But still acknowledge that, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I get it. But still have that emotional reaction. She's a human being. All you armchair Monday back quarterbacking. Quarterbacking. Monday morning quarterback? Yes. Is that that it? Yes. Okay. All of y'all talking out the side of your, you know what, about Annette Contivate and what she should or shouldn't or how she should or should not have reacted to this moment. This is something you have no expertise in. And so I am 100% here to grant her the grace of being overwhelmed by that moment. And that is perfectly okay. I mean, I felt that the crying is a totally normal reaction. Uh, Everybody was crying. (laughs) I'm not surprised that she was feeling overwhelmed in her press conference. At the same time, like, this is not a, a counterpoint of that. It's just, this is a unique match in history it like it's only going to happen once because serena's leaving she's playing the number two player in the world the crowd of course is going to be like this and i don't support cheering someone's first serve faults and stuff like that but you are you are okay with double faults as i saw you tweet on twitter well (laughs) what did you say this is not this is not fucking croquet (laughs) (laughs) it's not and I don't, we don't need to get into this deeply, but this is a particular match that will only happen once or twice. And yes, it sucks that Contivate had to be the sacrificial lamb here. I think she's a professional and she, she'll move on and she'll have great things in her future. Once she has some distance from it, I hope that she can take some pride from her performance in this match because she was absolutely one half of an incredible moment in sporting history yeah and i honestly hope that this gives her confidence 
coming out of this kind of post-COVID slump she's been having to prove to herself that, yes, she can perform at this level again. Now, moving on to Ayla Tomljanovic, she had no trouble rising to the moment. I I was stunned. I was this not is also so- wait. This is also a woman who has a history of choking in tennis, <laughs> right. of not being able to meet the moment. Yeah, what she did on that day, on Friday, was nothing short of incredible. Everything about her performance, from her play on court to her comportment afterward, it was just just an achievement. Now I'm not surprised that Isla gave Serena trouble, or even won. I was worried about this matchup just because Isla is somebody who is consistent, right? She's going to be consistent off the ground. She's not going to like blow you off the court. When she's on. Well, right. But I feel that Serena would typically, even when she was at her best, have more trouble with this type of player than a Contivate. A more seasoned, perhaps a younger, perhaps a more prepared Serena Williams? Would have won this match 6-4, 6-3. Yeah. Could have won this. Mm-hmm. Even this current Serena could have won this match 6-4, 6-3. Well, that's like the really wild thing about this run from Serena is that she was up in both sets, the first and second set against Isla. And I got the feeling through the entire week, wow, Serena's not that far off. Of course, she's she's not the player she was. She's almost 41 years old. But... If she wanted to, like if she didn't have anything else going on in her life, she might actually be able to give this a go. Or was it the adrenaline and and kind of the freedom of knowing that this is it and I don't have any expectations of myself. I just want to do a good job and, the, and bow out. The light Did, of the tunnel is yeah. in your sight. Right. Did that push her forward? You could also say that, okay, Serena showed glimpses of being so close. But is that something that she could have worked on and gotten there? Or do we say that because we know who she has been, but perhaps she still wouldn't have gotten there? Do you know what I mean? Maybe. Right. We have... This is all conjecture, right? Is is the inability to beat Isla in this match just because she hasn't been playing much, just because she hasn't had the match practice? Or is it because of... The unwinnable battle with aging mm-hmm. as a professional mm-hmm. tennis player. And we see this this type of uh, kind of journey through a match from so many aging players, right? We see it with Andy Murray when players are seem like they're in total control of a match. They have these dips. And with aging legends, you get the glimpses of brilliance. You rarely get it consistently throughout an entire two, three hour match. This was her longest match at the U.S. Open. Three hours. Three hours and five minutes. And to me, it's it's still surreal. I feel like I don't remember anything from it. I feel like it didn't really happen. I'm still processing. And w- <laughs> I know that we want to do more in-depth episodes about Serena in a few weeks later on. And I just feel like I can't really uh, do it justice right now. You know, so many people are like writing think pieces and tributes and stuff to her career, which we should be doing. But... I'm not uh, I'm not there yet. We should be doing? No, I mean like I'm glad people are doing. There yeah. should be so much noise about this, but I'm totally not not there mentally. Mm-hmm. Well, Serena was up 5-3 serving for the first set and got broken. Mm-hmm. Isla then won 
strung together four straight games to win that first set. Serena comes back in the second, has huge leads throughout that second set. And Isla just keeps coming back, coming back, coming back. Eventually, Serena pulls it out in a tiebreak. And then after that, it's a one-way train in the third set. Until we get to Tomljanovic serving for the match at 5-1. Serena saves five match points. This, this, <laughs> I did not attend this match. I was in my hotel room and I'm laying there on the bed watching this unfold. And all I can think is, please let this not end in a whimper. Mm-hmm. Let it not be just a string of unforced errors. Or that she ran out of gas and, With you know. Serena unable to manage her emotions in this moment. Knowing that this is probably it. You know, sometimes when folks are in this kind of position, they start weeping oh, yeah. during the game. And yeah. you could see the tenseness, the emotion on Serena's face that she was fighting back tears during this game. And when you get to that first match point, that second match point... Every single time she came up with blistering, ridiculous play to save these match points. <laughs> I, it was, and it could, I could not believe it, but then it was such an encapsulation of her entire career that it made perfect sense. And to still see her able to do this on the cusp of 41 at this moment, it was unreal. Mm-hmm. Because it was fearless. It, it wasn't waiting for her opponent to make an error. She was trying to make things happen. And even at this stage, because this is Serena Williams, she convinced you, could she really do this? Then you're thinking, what happens if it's 2-5? What happens? <laughs> Isla had this great line where she was asked about what's going through her mind with Serena saving all these match points. And she said, you know, I would not be the first player to lose against Serena Williams being 5-1 up. <laughs> she might have been right? the last <laughs> but right. she wouldn't have been the first she joins a, a pretty great club actually there's some slam winners in that club in sydney in like 1998 or seven serena's first year on tour tamani cariel writes about serena coming back from a set and five one down against Lindsay davenport oh my god yeah and Lindsay was was the it girl uh-huh. back then and the clarity of thought and the calmness that Tomljanovic was able to call upon in that moment. She prepared for this by deleting all her social media in the lead up to this match. Really? That's what she said. Oh, I didn't know that. She said she did not want any any of that mess <laughs> and added noise interfering with her preparation. Because she knew <laughs> that this was going to be a lot. Period. Mm-hmm. And it was. And to not be rattled by all those match points lost in that fashion, with the crowd squarely against her, that, I mean, I just keep coming back to thinking, what an achievement on her end. Right. And it's like, Isla, remember this. Remember how you did this. Because you can do this again and again. And the way she spoke after the match, the way she handled herself, giving the 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 space, the room, everything to celebrate Serena. You know this is going to be on Netflix, right? Isla is one of the subjects of the Netflix. Oh, she is? Yeah, I uh, I heard Mary Carrillo talking about it today. She listed all of the players who are being pro or followed by Netflix, mm-hmm. and Isla is one of them. They're all hot, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you could see a trend. <laughs> anyway, the thing with the match points, right? Petra Kvitova 
said she was so inspired by what Serena did, saving all these match points. She went into her match with Garbina Muguruza saying like, well, look what Serena did yesterday. I am down match points. I am going to win. I can do this. And she did. And that was a wild, amazing match. 12-10 final set tiebreak to take out Garbina Muguruza. And like so much love between them. The thing with Serena's retirement is it's just given off like a lot of good vibes this week. There's so much, there's so many compliments coming from male players, female players, retired players. It felt like a really positive first week. For a long time, the narrative was, and I don't know how true this was in the early part of her career, was that maybe Serena wasn't that liked in the locker room. Right. But at some point in the last decade, that fear of her maybe the distance that she put between herself and the players to be who she is that 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 went away yeah and even before that i think earlier in their career especially venus you know and part of it was like to protect each other Mm -hmm. i think they were insular because they needed to be there for each other and there were a lot of players back then in the 90s who hated them for no reason. Yes. Right? Like mm-hmm. A lot of people who have nothing but good things to say about them now. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, and Serena is, uh, I think, more outgoing in that way than Venus. Right? Yes. Like, she's made besties on tour. Yeah. She's got Caroline. She's friends with Svetlana. Yeah. Uh, apparently, you know, we didn't even know she's friends with Simona. My point in saying that is I think that that narrative went on far too long than when than what it was actually accurate. Yeah. I think she was actually respected and in some cases loved mm-hmm. by by many of her peers. And it I was, think a lot of them, it was a lot of journalists who couldn't get past their hang-ups. And I think a lot of them understood just how important she was to the game. Mm-hmm. Garbinia wrote a really nice essay for El Pais today just a a letter about serena and what she's meant to her petra had wonderful words Mm -hmm. on twitter genie bouchard roberta vinci let's let's never the other hand let's never utter that name on the show again thank you when i think about how different the history of tennis could have been if not for that (laughs) one nope that one fucking saturday in september nope we're not doing that 2015 (laughs) What I also love and hate, what I love hate, is how so many of these players, in their tributes, pick the pictures where they beat Serena. <laughs> Angelina, what are you doing, girl? Angie Kerber. I know, I know that Ann Kerber and Serena are friends. They're really good friends. And to be clear, Angie Kerber did the business in those matches. and um, She did, but this one time, pick the one where you lost at least throw one of them Please. in there. You put three or four pictures of there. Just, just throw us a bone. <laughs> the match ends. Serena nets a forehand, and then they there's a brief shake of hands at the net. Serena steps away from her chair, does one final twirl, acknowledges the crowd, and then there is this on-court interview with Mary Jo Fernandez. And Serena nails it. Of course, it's it's short. It's heartfelt. There's some tears. She thanks her father first. She says, thank you, daddy. I'm not crying on the show. I refuse (laughs) to cry on the show. So maybe we should move on. No, I mean, (laughs) I cannot believe how great that speech was. 
Mm-hmm. She thanked everybody in her box. And then she says, after thanking Daddy and Mommy, she says, and Venus, there is no Serena without Venus. And Venus is standing there, refusing to show any emotion. <laughs> just like... That tough older sister. She is just destroyed on the inside in that moment, but is just fighting with everything not to let it all explode from her eyes. The, the words just will never meet the moment. So mm-hmm. why try? So five years from now, I expect Richard, Oracine, and Serena to roll up to Newport for their Hall of Fame induction. And Oracine will sleep through that as well. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have so much more about Serena She's been such a a major part of this show Uh, from our very first episode that was called A Formal Education that was literally structured around Serena. She returned to Indian Wells in our very first season. We did a whole thing about that. We got got to witness Serena Slam 2.0 that very first year. We have talked about all the good and all the bad that has come from covering Serena Williams. So much of... For us, having to engage with the underbelly of tennis discourse and how folks have been historically so unwilling to engage with Serena and her place in tennis, how who she is as a Black woman informs how we should talk about her. We had the, I would say, displeasure. I would say the displeasure of having to unpack a lot of that over the years. And us wanting to do this show in a lot of way was informed by our private thoughts about that. Just sitting on our living room couch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In many ways, this show was born of wanting to have this really serious treatment of who Venus and Serena Williams are and what they mean and how tennis receives them. We're not the experts. We've tried our absolute best. And the Williams era is not over. No. It will never be over. But Venus Ebony Star is still out here. Let's talk about your experience at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. As I said, it was it was our first time at a Grand Slam. I mean, I wasn't there. It was, uh, the shows. Let me tell you, I met a lot of people who listened to the show and everybody asked about you. That is so sweet. Thank e- you all. Everybody missed you. Let's talk about... Well, y- you, you guide us here. You were in New York for about 10 days. Uh-huh. I was thrown by the cost of it. you didn't know new york was expensive or the cost of things at the u.s open grounds both okay uh so thank you to our listeners for supporting us and allowing us to do this yes because finally you know finally we get we get to do this um um you get there and you buy your tickets and i had tickets for all day tuesday wednesday thursday and then as serena progresses the scamming started right and so tickets were then gobbled up in advance to then be resold tenfold for Serena. I didn't fall victim to that. Once I had my moment with her on Wednesday night, I was I was good. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, that is something I can never replicate, duplicate, imitate. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was lucky enough to have her first round match in Toronto, and I was tenfold lucky to have this in New York. Mm-hmm. But it is, it's crazy what's going on with these ticket resales. 
It's, and for it's the first really time, I understood just how complicit a company like Ticketmaster is with this issue. Oh, of course. I Don't they profit off it every time? But I didn't know exactly how until Venus and Serena were announced for doubles on the Thursday. And I had a nosebleed seat. And I was like, well, you know, let me get a little bit closer. So I bought my ticket and then I resold the one that I had. Mm. Listeners, if you've never been through this process... You buy your original ticket, Ticketmaster takes their fees. You resell it, you list it. They say, okay, how much do you want to sell it for? I say, say $100. They say, okay, well, we'll give you $80. And we'll take 20 So they get fees on the resale too. And then they get fees on the new purchase no. price. Oh my God. Because then I go look and see what they're actually listing that seat for. On their website, mm-hmm. after I've listed it, like, it is straight up Putin save a scammery. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not one scam, it's another. Uh, on the grounds, initially, we talked on the previous episode about the honeydew stuff. $22 for a drink, and then you tip. It's $25, right? Yeah. And I was I was floored. But then having been around New York City... And seeing the prices, generally speaking, of cocktails, it's like, okay, locals here probably aren't that bothered by this because it's expensive to drink in New York City. Other observations with the honeydews? After I tracked down the frozen version, which to my knowledge was only available on the grandstand, they had two slushy machines. Mm -hmm. A game changer. Oh, that sounds amazing. It was so much better than the original. (laughs) Uh, so if you are still on site, you told me today that they have run out of the commemorative cups okay. that they sell it in. So somebody told me this on Twitter that the the souvenir cups are gone. And I glanced over to our kitchen and saw the seven that I had just washed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sorry, but they were bought fair and square with 22 whole uh-huh. American dollars. Thank you to David for getting us the seventh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And thank you for the chat. A real highlight of the trip. Where do you want me to start? Well, yeah, we should have some direction here, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a few of the matches that jump out to you that you were able to watch while Mm -hmm. you were there. I got to see Venus on Grandstand, Mm -hmm. and she lost. She did, yes. To Alison Van Oetvank. And the first set was horrendous. The second set, Venus had real spots of brilliance. Mm-hmm. before eventually losing in a tiebreak. Allison was tearing up the Challenger circuit on grass. She's not coming in totally cold to the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. It it appeared actually to be a good first-round matchup, uh, you know, because you're facing an unseated player, you're facing a big hitter, which Venus likes, but unfortunately she did not get through. Yeah, I mean, a set down in the blink of an eye, unable to feel the ball in her racket, you get the sense that there is a, a disconnect with Venus between how she's practicing and how she's playing these matches. And not winning matches is not helping her at all. Right. Now, did were you there for Naomi versus Danielle Collins? I was. And I watched most of that match with our friends that we met in Cincinnati, John and Philip. Mm-hmm. And all I could think while I was there was, and all I could feel was, a sense of guilt. That you were not there. How much I would have loved How much to see you it. would have absolutely enjoyed this. And in that breath, on that note, I w- as much as I talk about how special that Contivate match was, 
truly, I would give that experience to you in a heartbeat. Well, thank you, but you can't. And I know that doesn't... <laughs> that doesn't... Honestly, after that match, I kind of didn't want to hear about it. I wasn't ready. You know, I was I was at peace with the fact that I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But the the FOMO is just a little bit too much at, at some points. Okay. So. I just want you to know that I was thinking of you every step of the way. <laughs> there will be bittersweet memories. Mm-hmm. And those are all that I'm taking with me. (laughs) Please. Now, Danielle was only thinking about blood. Listen. Can I I say that? I don't. I don't know. (laughs) You said it. I'm not owning it. If there's, you know, repercussions. Right. (laughs) Listen, I cannot explain to you how impressive it is to see her power specifically in person. Mm. It is relentless. It is effortless. And it is even more on display against somebody like Naomi. After watching Venus and see Venus hit 118 mile an hour serves, and then you watch Naomi Osaka hit a serve and you hear it, and you're like, oh my God, that that is 140 miles an hour. <laughs> and then you look at the speed clock and it says 112, 110, right, 114. Right. And there's this disconnect between what you're seeing and what the clock is saying. And that is something you do not get on TV. At at all. Like both the sound and what you see come off the racket? Mm -hmm. Granted, they were playing indoors that night. So I don't know if that had something to do with it. Rafa was on first. After the first set, I believe they closed the roof because there there was inclement weather. That never really came. Right. Very interesting. Uh, No, but... The ball off Naomi's racket is very explosive in mm. sound and effect. <laughs> but Danielle, she will hit harder and the ball will just make the sweetest, soft sound of mm. her racket. And the ball just is traveling through the court. And so having that contrast with two power players unleashing their power in in different ways was a treat to watch. Danielle is still alive in this tournament. We watched her play Cornet last night on TV, hitting damn near 50 winners in a two-set match. The backhand, I mean, somebody's going to have to take it down because she's not she's not giving up in this tournament. I don't think anybody is playing power tennis, particularly off the backhand wing like Danielle Collins is mm-hmm. right now. And this is a woman who did not play at all, really, this summer. And she shows up in New York, and she just has this incredible can-do self-belief in herself and her game. Because, as she says, I'm a hard worker. I have the work ethic, and I have the talent. And this is perhaps something that's born out of being a college player, somebody who's had a lot of personal struggle as well. And to be here in this position, at this age. It's incredible. And it it was a treat to watch. Mm. I feel like Danielle has such the American ethos. It's like, <laughs> I came from nothing. I built myself up. I'm going to work twice as hard as you. Mm-hmm. Like, I am here to win. The thing I'm not here about with Danielle Collins is her box. And that's exacerbated oh. by the the mic'd up coaching. Yeah. The dude broiness college fratness of it all is just we're gonna get there in a minute Ugh, 
Next question. Uh, well, who else did you see? You watched Ostapenko, which you told me was an incredible experience in person. And we have seen her before, but she drew Jung Chinwen in the first round, mm-hmm. right? So you saw that match. Yeah, I mean, I saw her in Toronto as well and thoroughly enjoyed that as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My very first slam action, I arrived on site, had a late night before, so I wasn't there for the start of the match. But I arrive between courts four and five. And there's this little pathway where if you stand in the middle, you can turn to the right, as I did, and watch Garbine Muguruza play Clara Towson, which, Mm -hmm. if you follow the show, that's of interest. Right. And then if you turn your head to the left, you watch Chingwen play Ostapenko. And so that's what I did for the last set of both matches. Mm -hmm. And they ended within a minute of each other. And while Muguruza got the job done, Ostapenko did not. And she was not happy. And if you've ever seen it before, it was on full display in this match where the crowd was clearly in Zhang Chinwen's corner. And Ostapenko, in response to the loud support, repeatedly plugged her ears with her pointer fingers... (laughs) Which and she, stomped around the court. Which she is known to do. The petulance of it all was breathtaking. <laughs> and I I turned on the match. All I could hear was her voice yammering to the umpire. She was pissed off about a lot of things in that match. It was a whole ass mess on her part. I mean, I like the woman. And she also wrote, wrote a very nice tribute to Serena on her Instagram. But that was a brutal first round draw mm-hmm. it really was that was also the first time i met tbs listeners at the tournament mm. and i'm just standing there it was probably aided because i had a, the tbs tote on <laughs> so i was identifiable <laughs> but like within a minute three people came up to me and it's like hey, are you jonathan and then i was like i was thinking to myself this is this is so weird i'm not used to this and then i thought about it i was like where am i exactly i am at Garbinia Muguruza and Clara Towson, as well as Chinwen and Ostapenko. Like, this is this is a vacuum of tennis Twitter mess <laughs> yes. that's swirling around. This is right. where our listeners would be. Right, right. <laughs> the, the tennis Twitter folks who know, who are in the know, this is where they would be. So, like, there was a concentration of, of probability that yes. this would happen. yes. Zhang, uh, Harper's Bazaar released a photo shoot with Zhang to coincide with the U.S. Open. That was just stunning. Absolutely gorgeous, cool photos. And the the read on her at the moment is really like her star is rising very, very quickly. Like the tennis world wants her to happen. You do not want to see her in your draw. Right. And I think that she is going to happen. But she did lose in the third round here to Yula Niemeyer, who is another person who is about happening. to happen. <laughs> right, is happening. I tweeted last night that I, I cannot see that name in writing without thinking Tu Wang Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. <laughs> <laughs> and I will forever associate that with this young German woman. Mm-hmm. I also saw a lot of Borna Chorich. I saw both his matches, including his loss in the second round. And coming off of the win in 
Cincinnati. I don't know if it's because he hadn't had that much match play in a long time coming off of injury. And and maybe this was just too much physically for him. Mm. But I was also, frankly, disgusted by his behavior on court. (laughs) Spitting on the court. Why do they do that? Against Cuoco. It was... I was not into it at all. Mm-hmm. Well, you you told me on the phone that Borna has like a lot of this macho energy mm-hmm. on court, which like that's fine. It's just not really something that we are into generally. No. <laughs> One of the big stories of the early week was Brandon Holt. A lot of people, ourselves included, did not know that he is the son of two-time U.S. Open champion. Tracy Austin. Well, you said ourselves included, like I had ever heard of Brandon Holt before this week. And then you find out that he's Tracy's son. He's qualified. It's this big thing. He wins a match in New York mm-hmm. in the first round. And then I show up to his second round match, which he loses. And I spot Tracy in the crowd as well. <laughs> and Brandon got the, he got the full treatment in this match because he was a big in that fifth set, and uh, it did not work out for him. I mean, I feel like he has really experienced the whole gamut of what it's like to be a professional at this tournament. He beat Taylor Fritz in the first round, who was expected to to go deep. And then he lost in five sets against Kachin after having a big lead. It's the whole, the whole experience that he got. I saw... Alejandro Davidovich Fokina play against Marton Fuchovic. And it looked like there was virtually nothing between the two players, if you mm-hmm. watch that match. And the thing that I, <laughs> I took away most was, how do these men, in particular, avoid just rupturing all parts of their body mm-hmm. with the way they move around and slide around on these hard courts? The stretches and the the lunges and the... I was hurting from just watching it. It it does not feel safe Mm -hmm. when you watch it. Davidovich, he's a good example because he actually does some splits and and he takes tumbles and stuff. But the number of players who slide on hard courts, it's it's scary. When Kim Kleisters did it, she was like... It was notable. Because not everybody did that. Right, but hers was graceful and didn't really feel violent. Sure, but like this, hard courts are not made for sliding. They're not, but I'm telling you, <laughs> this stuff was violent. Mm. They were attacking their bodies <laughs> repeatedly. That, that's just not sustainable behavior, <laughs> I don't think. So everybody always wants to know at the U.S. Open, like, oh, what did you think of Arthur Ashe Stadium? And I feel like most people's answers are the same. I thought multiple things. And I think it depends on where you're sitting. Okay. My first experience was in the day session. And it wasn't as full. So there wasn't as much action and people walking around. Mm -hmm. And being up there, the first thing I thought was, this feels a lot less cavernous than I imagined. That I've heard people talk about over the years. That it's just this monstrosity with all the echoes. And in that moment, I was like, this is actually kind of cute. The the viewpoint is not that bad. I can still see the court. 
It doesn't feel that high up. Let me tell you, it just changed. Every <laughs> every time I sat in that stadium, I got a different feel of what it's actually like. I will say mm. it's incredibly easy to get in and out of the stadium, which would it's counterintuitive for how big it is. They have escalators to take you up, or you can take mm. stairs. And once you're trying to get out, once you find the stairs to come down, it's like four-lane traffic. Mm-hmm. So you can just fly down the stairs. No problem. You're not really waiting too much behind people. Where it was bad, the depending on who you're sitting beside, you can feel really cramped. I would say especially in the 100 section. Oh, really? You think you pay more money to be closer to the action, but you're not really getting much more space. And that's in part because of the greed in the design of the stadium, whereby there are two levels of corporate boxes around the entire stadium Mm -hmm. that separate the lower bowl from the 100 seats. And you you stay there at nighttime for all these once-in-a-lifetime matches for, say, Serena Serena and Venus. And a lot of times those boxes are not occupied. Mm-hmm. You see people carousing That's and sick. carousing and palavering <laughs> behind the the screen, having drinks and kikiing, but not really watching the tennis. Nobody's actually sitting in those seats. And that's where the space is. Right? Those seats, mm-hmm. they have all the space in the world there. That's I'm pretty sure that's where Zendaya was. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. A lot of the celebrities sit in the lower bowl though. So you actually like you have many levels of rich people seats. Oh yeah. Before you get to the regular folks. And let me tell you, when those lower bowl seats are resold, they're sold in the thousands. Oh yeah, yeah. It's implicit, but then made very explicit that these are not for you. <laughs> <laughs> During uh, the Serena match, they kept, you know, obviously they're finding all the celebrities, and they kept showing the Hadids, like Bella Hadid, and I don't, I don't know which one it was, but it's like n- nobody cares. No, this is not Gladys Knight. Okay, like. I understand that you found the celebrities. This this ain't Zendaya. Oh, but let's be clear. <laughs> I am here for Cousin Dion and Miss Gladys Knight exactly. being at exactly. this time. Spike Lee, somebody on Twitter said he was dressed as a test cricketer. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> so I saw that. Perfect. Oh, my God. <laughs> but then you get to... Night tennis and the worst experience, the absolute worst experience, was watching Serena and Venus play doubles and then afterward Rafa against Fonini. Mm -hmm. It's the wild, wild west in the 300s. Right. There's nobody patrolling who is walking up and down in between changeovers. You're lucky if you get two uninterrupted points per game. Right. What are the, but what are these people doing? Like, sit down. It's so big. Where are you going? It's so big that they probably could not staff it enough mm. to fully control. And it's so high up that the it doesn't affect the sight line of any of the players. The only thing that it, it, it causes a problem for with the players is the echo. Because, again, it's so big. Mm-hmm. People are just yapping, yappa, 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 yappa <laughs> up there, and the echo becomes an issue down below. Okay. I spoke to a bunch of people asking them what they thought of Ash, and I got the exact same response from so many people that before the roof, 
when you were up there, it almost felt like you you could have vertigo. Mm. But mm. then when the roof came, the upper levels felt more intimate. That That's the big difference. Oh, like that more was, contained? Yes. And so it became a much more enjoyable experience to be up there. Because it's really, as as much as it was described to me over the years, it wasn't that bad for viewing. Oh, okay. But the being around... Annoying, uh, annoying people. Annoying people who have no... As much as we don't want to gatekeep. <laughs> you do. I don't. No, I mean, you still want to enjoy the tennis and see. Yeah, like, you pay yeah. a lot of money for these tickets. You would like to, at least when the game is being played to be able to not have a string of five dubros. Oh, sorry, man. Yes. Sorry, man. I don't know if that's gatekeeping, but like, while the tennis is being played, I would like you to sit down and shut the fuck up. Is that so much to ask? Pretend pretend like you're at the Nutcracker Ballet. I certainly don't think so. <laughs> Two final observations from my time at the tournament. I mentioned previously just how expensive it was to be at the tournament, um, to be in New York. But also you get on site and you're in the midst of tens of thousands of people. And you are buying a honeydews. And then you see how many people are buying honey, honeydews. And I got to doing some math. <laughs> And easily, each day, they were clearing a couple hundred thousand dollars in sales from just honeydews. Right. Just honeydews. Say nothing of the food, which you could go for a piece of naan bread that was $3.50 to some chicken masala at the, the curry shop for $15. Or you could do Carilla, which is a Korean vendor, and you spend $24 for some bulgogi or uh, a chicken bowl, a pork bowl. You could buy a pizza, a personalized pizza, for $18. You could buy chicken tenders and fries for $16. A Coke is, I believe, $8. <laughs> Stop. $8? <laughs> Is it Mexican gulp? Like a big gulp. Like, is, like a big gulp kind of thing. <laughs> you can buy a small Evian bottle of water for $6, or you can buy a big one for 8 Do they have water fountains, though? Yes. Okay, because, like, you have to give people water. Yes. They have um, Alex Guarnaschelli, who's, like, a celebrity chef who I follow on TikTok. She's leading, like, all of these restaurants at the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. like, all of these concepts. There's the Mojito restaurant. There is the, the one... What is it called? Flair or something like that? That's where I met Jackie. Shout out to you and your sister by the Cadillac building or something. Yeah, so there there are these like sit-down restaurant areas where you can get waited on Mm -hmm. if you want. But then the food court has all these options. So realistically, you're spending $15 to $24 per meal just for the food. And then you buy a drink. If you buy a drink, it's $14.50 for a draft. Or a big can of beer. And then the cocktails range from 17 to 22 for the honeydews. Well, it's and, to be expected at a stadium, right? Right. But I'm just saying on that scale, the amount of money that this tournament generates, <laughs> it's just... Are you saying that they make so much money they don't really need to be begging Nick Curios for scraps? <laughs> no, you didn't. I said that, to be clear. You, they don't need to be uh, circulating Nick Curio spitting videos for clicks no, it's to just, make revenue. It's just dis- it's disgusting to me, <laughs> frankly. It's 
<laughs> I feel like there should be some academic study using the US Open specifically to just put capitalism into mm-hmm. relief. Or to show how inaccessible tennis can be to regular people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, you know, most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. That said, the site is very accessible. <laughs> wow. You can get there by train very easily on the mm-hmm. Long Island Railroad. Right. I haven't, so I haven't been to New York since 2015. I did not know that they still had $1 pizza mm-hmm. in this economy. I had it. I thought it was a myth. I definitely had it. And the last thing I want to say is that I was pretty impressed by the merch on site. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was everywhere. You could get anything pretty much anywhere in the stadium, outside the stadium, individual kiosks, multiple actual stores. And it, that was actually fairly affordable. Most places, you'll get charged more than $35 for a t-shirt. Right. And the designs were really nice. I don't know what they've been like in years prior, but the logo design this year was cute. Yeah. The, the poster f- art was beautiful this year. I don't always like buying t-shirts because the fits are so variable, but this stuff fit, fit really good. All right. As we speak, we've just been alerted by your mother that Nick Kyrgios is dropping <laughs> F-bombs. <laughs> On live television. And what else is new? Uh, that's This is what they want, right? They want... F-bombs, th- spit, cuss. You know, I gotta, I gotta say something about the spitting video. I saw a lot of it, non-consensually. I saw it many times. And if... I mean, if they want tennis to be barstool sports, then fine. Just say it. Like, you want the barstool crowd... Is that who you think is going to bring tennis into the 21st century? Got it. But if you want to be on the receiving end of that spit, just tell us. We don't kink shame here. Oh my god. No. No. I think we we need to really talk about this. Okay. Because what's going on here? Um, I'm I think the we kink I think part. we know. Why why would anyone want to watch that and then celebrate it? It's disgusting. So what is going on here? Well, use your imagination. If it's where I think you're going, I'm not going to engage with that. (laughs) Let's not. Let me, before we talk about the results and everything, let me complain for a minute. Will you indulge me? Again? For a third time? What do you mean again? Over the last week and a half, I will indulge you. Uh, But the listeners haven't heard it at all. (laughs) While you were on site, I was here watching the tennis on TV. Mm -hmm. And the first few days... The sound mix on the broadcast, both the ESPN broadcast and the world feed, was fucked. I was Pardon my uh, French. It was unbearable. I'm sitting there wherever I was on site, and I'm just wondering, is the BodyServe Twitter account going to produce any other type of content <laughs> other than <laughs> complaining no, about... I, I believe that was on my own Twitter, but... It was driving me absolutely mad. I could not handle it. It was like all of the streaming services' worst sound mixes put together. Mm -hmm. And what I believe was happening is that they, because they had started miking the coach's box, they didn't know how to level out everything else. So during Serena's match, for example, okay, they're going to be loud. This isn't the first time you've broadcast a very loud tennis match you've been doing this for many many years okay the out calls like 
literally distorted the speakers on the TV were so loud, but I could barely hear the commentators. I couldn't hear the court sounds, but for some reason the outcalls were extremely loud. Then you couldn't hear the crowd. They turned the crowd way, way down. I guess in preparation of them being super loud, but what you got was a totally dead environment, uh, orally. You got outcalls that were blasting your eardrums off, and it was just awkward. Like, it just sucked air out of, of the match. And then what made it worse is that when you had very vocal coaching boxes like Danielle's, all you heard was, let's go deep, let's go deep. Why? Come on, come on, let's go deep. So they, it seems in the days since, they've sort of sit, uh, fixed the sound mix a little bit. It's easier to, to watch the match, but I think this happened because of the off-court coaching rule. I think they don't. They didn't know how to mic the the coach's box. And my question is, why do you need to mic the coach's box? Let me talk about this off-court coaching rule a bit, just to give you some context. You have written here the in-match coaching. Fine, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> there's a but. No, I'll I'll give you the nuts and bolts, and then I'll tell you the but. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, the U.S. Open rolled out this off-court coaching rule where coaching would be permitted from the designated player boxes only. Coaches could coach verbally if the player was on their side of the court, and they could engage in, quote, subtle, non-verbal coaching when the player is at the opposite end of the court. And that was defined as, like, hand gestures that are both discreet and not a distraction to the other players or the fans. And this is addressing basically the the constant endemic coaching mm-hmm. in tennis when it has been banned for many, many years. It is so clear when you're walking around the outer courts of any tournament when you don't know who is who, but you can guess based on how they're dressed. You see players talking to their boxes all the time, except it's not a box. They're just sitting courtside. Yeah. And if you don't know what's going on, you'll be like, oh, how did they know that person in the stands? Because they are like they seem like besties. Right. But literally it's, between every point, they, constant. they hit an error and they're like, duh, 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 duh. and then the coach is like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you watch it, it just goes on and on and on and on. So we don't get a lot of those broadcasts on TV. We get a lot of the big stadiums. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, like a lot more of a disadvantage for one player over another when you sit on that big stage, right? But right. to be clear, this has happened from when there were juniors to college players to ITF challengers. Mm-hmm. When they're down in the rankings and only playing outer courts, everybody gets coaching. If you have a coach. Yes, everybody gets coaching. Now, in the rules, players can't actually speak to their coaches or have a conversation. This is supposed to be one way. It's essentially a way to mitigate what's already happening. Fine. Like, Billie Jean King loves it. Certain active players hate it. Taylor Fritz has kind of uh, revealed himself to be a purist about a lot of things in tennis. He hates coaching. Um, Other players will welcome it. And I'm not really even here to talk about the coaching rule. I personally don't like it, but I'm not a player. Right. Mm -hmm. I I don't make the rules. Uh, (laughs) At this point, I don't have a problem with it. If you're not interfering with the other player, 
and you both have access to it, I guess this is where the inequity comes in. Right. If you both have access to it, that'd be my one caveat and my one problem. Because it does highlight the the larger inequities in tennis. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I don't think it's going to make that much difference to most, if any, match. Okay, okay. I mean, I don't think it should. I like that tennis players have to think for themselves. And, like, if you don't know to uh, run this person and drop shot them and rush the net, then you should have known that. Right. Or you should have the wherewithal you can't, to figure out. You're not going to get from... You, you say you lose a point, and then the coach says, the next point, you got to hit a drop shot. It's dependent on what's coming to you from the other side of the sure. net. And I feel like the more players engage with this, the more detrimental it might be to their mental psyche during a match. Sure, it may actually not be helpful at all. Exactly. So um, I think a lot of it may be overstated. And well, like you, what I don't like is our access to it. I don't feel like we need to see it. Well, here, it doesn't add anything. Here we're this is where we're going, right? Fine. This is the coaching rule. You're doing this experiment. Why do I need to hear it? I'm trying to watch the tennis. Why did, because why is the coach's box at a much higher volume than everybody else? Why do I need to hear individual voices saying banal stupid things? Like, let's go. I do not care. No. And I hope, I mean, maybe this is coming off as bitter and petty, but like, I literally do not care. It adds nothing to the experience. Let them coach. But why do we have to hear it? It's, it makes me like Daniel Collins less. Like, that's, that's an effect. It's extremely annoying. It's very annoying. I love her. You love her. But watching her matches has been very irritating. Because all I can hear is these dude bros. That's Steve Nash. Let's go, dude. That's Steve Nash looking dude. And like in a stadium, you wouldn't hear it, right? Because you can't pick out individual voices. And okay, she feels that she needs them to make a lot of noise. Fine. I don't need to hear it. But now I do. (laughs) So that's the part that I find annoying. And I blame it for messing up the sound mix and like ruining the experience of day one and day two. So that's why I don't like it. That's it. That's it. That's my complaint. I'm supposed to tell you here my favorite courts. Oh, okay. At the tournament. You, mean, you missed that part. You didn't ask me. Well, I mean, I didn't ask. You wrote it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'll tell you my favorite spots to watch tennis. I loved, loved the grandstand. Okay. I also struggled to, in name and conception, distinguish between Louis Armstrong and grandstand. Because for Mm. most of the live tennis that I've seen, the second biggest show court has been the grandstand. Right, right. In Toronto it is, and yeah. (laughs) At the U.S. Open, it's the third. Mm -hmm. These big sites, they have a lot of named courts. Right. You know? Multiple times, people were like, where are you? Where can we meet up? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm by grandstand. When, in fact, I was by Louis Armstrong. I just... It took me a week to wrap my head around that. And your issues with directions strike again. Yeah, I continued to get lost. <laughs> right up until the, the day before I left. All I needed was one, one stop on the F train to get to Jackson Heights to have dinner. Mm-hmm. And I went in the wrong direction. Stop. I did. You sure didn't, did. You didn't cross the East River, did you? May, may have. <laughs> 
<laughs> I definitely passed uh, Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Island. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. And you saw the the um, what is it called? The funicular thing, that tram thing that goes in the air. Do you remember that? Maybe. Okay. Anyway, I was not worried about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Loved Court Seventeen. So good. Mm. So Grandstand Court Seventeen, my favorite as far as the outer courts. The the spot between courts four and five, where I saw Muguruza and Ostapenko, there are overhead seating where you can go up there and you can watch both courts from above. Amazing. Mm, Just okay. amazing. All right. I realize the direction of the show is a bit helter-skelter. It is, and it's frustrating me. So I hope the listeners enjoy it. Uh <laughs> And let's go back to me complaining. How about that? Sure. You do it so well. Getting a job as an ESPN commentator, congratulations, because that is the Supreme Court. <laughs> that is a lifetime appointment. You're not going anywhere. Oh my God, you are so messy. So that means... Is there somebody you're referring to specifically? I mean, you can put two and two together if you want, but I'm not going to say it. Are they related? To whom? Each other. To me? To each other. Oh, <laughs> Well, th- that's obvious. <laughs> the two brothers, uh, I mean, I don't know if there was a time that they were effective commentators, but now is certainly not that time. And mm-hmm. I can't recall one in my 25 years of experience watching tennis. I'm talking about some of the new ones who popped up and just dig in because they're going to be commentating for the rest of your lifetime. Mm. Does one of them go by an acronym? Yeah. Oh, so just a I, lot just a lot of bs what i want to know oh. mm. anyway <laughs> what i want to know is why does it have to be a lifetime appointment like when you get this job I, this is better than a union job the security you get maybe there should be a, a rate my commentator like a rate my professor.com <laughs> yeah I uh, I'm so so grateful for having Bell like a Bell Media account in Canada where we can always access the world feed legally, like as part of the subscription. So, that is not always better. Uh, if I can switch over to Lindsay Davenport, Chanda Rubin, Mary Carrillo, thank God, mm. because I I watch Rafa every single match, and guess who is always commentating Rafa. Always the mm-hmm. brothers and somebody mm-hmm. else. Last night we were watching, I believe we were watching Danielle. Mm-hmm. The the Corny Collins show. Mm-hmm. Corny Collins. And there was a pivot from the booth to courtside for Miss Acronym. And you were like, oh, no, no, no. This is the last straw. I will not abide this. <laughs> And so I we, switched it. We missed like three games because you had to like find a new stream. <laughs> anyway, that's enough. You you put on this this agenda because this is uh, obviously a Bill Gates podcast bought and paid for by Big Pharma, by the moder. What do they call that? The like internationalist. What is the anti-Semitic shit that they say about I, George Soros? I don't. Know. Anyway, Moderna is a sponsor slash partner of the U.S. Open. Yeah, they have a Moderna booth on site. It's all over the courts, the signage. And what is the Moderna 
booth on site doing exactly? Are I, they like shooting darts of vaccine into you as you walk by? <laughs> I must have dodged those, or they must have known that I was already Pfizered up. <laughs> I don't know exactly what they were doing. My bandwidth did not allow. Mm-hmm. I had a lot going on. But I did notice them. Yes. A Billie Jean King did a commercial for Moderna that I've seen on TV. Uh, this has obviously, I mean, the stories write themselves. This has spurred a million conspiracy theories mm-hmm. about Novak Djokovic's absence. Well, no wonder he's not allowed in to play the US wow. Open because Moderna and Billie Jean King. And Bill Gates. And, and the president of the United States, Rafael Nadal, have barred him from the US Open. <laughs> I I feel that Rihanna has something to do with this. I just can't put my finger on it. Uh, and <laughs> but what's clear and sure, maybe because Serena was the story the first week. But even so, what's clear is that these tournaments move on. They do. They move on. Like, no one player is bigger than the sport. They are... Well, that's not true. I mean, Serena, in practice, is bigger than the sport. <laughs> right, but if Rafa... As a cultural icon, but I'm saying at, a, at, a, at an individual tournament. On the ground? They're going to sell those tickets, babe. Right. You've left us, like, two seconds to talk about the actual tennis. Me? That's on my head? <laughs> yes. Let's, so let's start from the now. And work backward. The now is Nick Curious won that first set. Indeed. Uh, so as we're recording, Nick and Daniil are playing this blockbuster third round match. Or no, fourth round match, sorry. Medvedev is up three love now in the second set. So we'll see. I want to go through where we're at in the draw. The women's round of 16, we've got Iga versus Niemeyer. Kvitova versus Pagula. Azarenka Pliskova. And Collins Sabalenka. I mean, like huge hitters. This draw is has been a boon for the players ranked like 15 and up. Like there a lot of stuff happened early on, defending champs out, someone to hell about early, but there are a ton of seated players in the women's round of 16. And as we go further, Coco Goff, the number 12 seed, beat uh, Zhang Shuai today. Garcia beat Risk Amritraj. Anshabur will play Kudermatova. And then we have Samsonova Tomljanovic. Samsonova is on an absolute tear. I mean, despite some expected upsets early on in the tournament, this is a this is a stacked fourth round expected upsets Simona Halep going out in the first no, I round mean, no but you always expect shocking oh, I upsets see what you're saying. on the women's okay, side not right? that, well I wanted this to be a segue to just shit on Patrick <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> because he had an absolute train wreck of a first week Terrible. with Simona crashing out Tsitsipas crashing out in the first round both of them and then that tepid mundane so-called tribute to Serena after she evolved away from but tennis. with Simona, we get, like, epic poetry. Like, he's Walt Whitman out here. It's very, it's very transparent. I mean, th- he literally presides over the Serena Williams Academy, the house that Serena Williams built. Let's be real. 
I mean, I don't care. Like, I really don't care. I don't need to hear from Patrick. Because if he did write a whole thing, then we would accuse him of making this moment about himself. So sure, I'm glad there, he didn't. Yeah, but there is a middle ground. Why does it always have to be an extreme <laughs> with this dude? Fair. Fine. Uh, he was he was a fairly accomplished coach before Serena. He, he just wasn't who he is. Sort of. Sort of. What he I wasn't would, a nobody. What, what I would saying. like is, dear Serena, you made me love Patrick. <laughs> Forever grateful. Which is a cute spin on I made you. We got it, Jim. Yes. We got it. Oh my God, I just called you Jim. That's what I call you in regular <laughs> yeah. life. But you've decided that it's, you should go by James. Not, nobody ever call me that, by the way. Jim? Don't call me that. Me? No, anyone else. Oh, yeah. That's just for me? As an adult, you're allowed to... Set your boundaries? You know, say how you'd like to be referred to. And James is my name. My government name. To non-family. Sure, but that's my government name, my <laughs> Christian name. It's <laughs> We got it. Okay, we got it. <laughs> On the men's side, round of 16, of course, Medvedev and Kyrgios are playing as we speak. Hachanov beat Pablo Carreño Busta. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, while we were recording. Berrettini beat Alex Davidovich today. Alex Davidovich. They call him Alex. Oh. And Kaspar Ruud... <laughs> he needed four sets, but he beat a very animated and very upset Corentin Moutet. Mm. Tomorrow, Yannick Sinner will play Ivashka. Marin Cilic will play Alcaraz. Cam Nori will play Rublev. And Nadal, daytime marquee matchup against Francis Tiafo. Yeah, yeah. I'm just so, so glad that Francis is here and he gets this blockbuster match. He just gave such a, a professional performance against Diego. They're now 2-2, two and two, by the way. Francis, you know, if he wins big, U.S. tennis doesn't even deserve him. How, how big he would be. Mm. I would like him to achieve that against somebody other than Rafa yes. Nadal. Yes. <laughs> Rafa is 22-0 in slam tennis this year. Yep, the walkover doesn't count as a loss. I I don't know what to say. As usual, there will be no predictions. <laughs> we will not be doing that. No. Shantek is still out here doing Bush League diversion tricks at net. Like, it is... I'm sorry, I'm absolutely disgusted by it. It is so unbecoming of the number one player by far in the game. Somebody with that much talent to be doing this. Like, what? what is going on? What the hell? I don't understand. Like, she's starfishing yeah. at the net. To people who don't understand what's going on, she's at net. And the the player, the, the opponent is approaching her shot. And from that position, they're expected to win. It's an easy winner from that position. Mm. But then she's, like, waving her hands, doing jumping jacks. Trying to distract them. It's so weird. So weird. Like, I can't believe she's still doing it. So, Iga, love you, girl, but cut that shit out. It's so embarrassing. Because you don't need it. Mm -hmm. The top half of the women's draw, it's kind of loaded here. It is. Sriantek uh, playing Neymar, Kvitovic, Bagula. Petra hasn't always or ever really done well in New York. But 
she is but there it really feels like something is fueling her here and she, she did well in cincinnati as well yes yes pagula is top three in the race on the wga tour as a renko you know she loves new york she's doing really well again here unbothered in her first three matches mm-hmm. and feeling very much like a a leader politically and socially on the tour and that's something that we will talk about in more detail on the next episode i know that's really really important stuff carolina pliskova beat benchich in the third round benchich loved these courts of course mm-hmm. she pliskova gave this very evil grin in the first set and it was just an indication like i got you girl <laughs> i might lose this set but it's over <laughs> Uh, thank you, Miss Pliskova, for your service. Uh, you know, I'm kind of sad that Collins and Sabalenka have to face off now. It's going to be a really tough out for Danielle. I want her to win. I want her to go far. But she has never beaten Sabalenka. It's a big ask, but she's in really great form. And then Coco, is she following up the French Open? Is she following up being world number one in doubles? with solidifying her position in the top 10. She's provisionally top 10 right now, but Mm -hmm. that depends on her further results at this tournament, as well as what other people do. Is this another step? It's, I just got to say, I don't know who's going to win, but it's very exciting to see Coco and Carolyn Garcia play each other when they're both in such good form. Yeah. And I wish it were a final. I really wish it wasn't right now. Caroline, this is her second ever slam quarterfinal mm-hmm. at 28 years old. Somebody who was earmarked for world number one by Andy Murray. <laughs> right. Somebody whose talent has been so obvious for so long that she's having this stretch. It's it's great. Yeah. And on the men's side, uh, like Andre Rublev gutted out this fifth set win against Denis Shapovalov yesterday. He plays Cam Nori, Nori who beat Hoon, who was accusing him of gamesmanship by catching his ball toss a bunch of times. Mm. I am, which I will, to be fair, is a thing that some people do. Yeah, I'm just so <laughs> overcome by the weight of knowing that there's still a decade of dealing with this dude. <laughs> To be fair, he didn't give us like a whole five-step Instagram diatribe about somebody screaming yeah in his face after this match. He he moved on gracefully this time. Mm. There's a lot of... T- one of the big indie picks to win this title is Samsonova. And we have to issue a correction because we've been pronouncing her name incorrectly. Oh, Did you do it you already? You just corrected episode? me? Yeah. I didn't know that, yeah. We've been so wrong about that for so long. Okay. Privately, we call her Suitcase Girl. I've said it on the show before. Samsonite. Samsonite. (laughs) Suitcase Girl. Yeah. But she's Samsonovo. All right. Got it. I won't make the mistake again. And maybe Isla will put all the haters in place by following up that big win with something really special here Mm -hmm. in New York. Because that seems to be the only tolerable way that somebody can beat your fave. If they don't waste the opportunity. Absolutely. You really diverted that from the men, didn't you? Oh, I did? <laughs> <laughs> Berrettini, I will say, I've been off the Berrettini train for a while now. 
I will say that I enjoyed watching him play live. I okay. saw him on Grandstand. The variety in his game is so much more apparent live than it is on TV. He's got great feel, great touch, good volleying, lots of spins, cute spins, especially off the backhand side. But that also is a byproduct of having a weak backhand. Mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed the match uh, versus Davidovich today. I really wanted Davidovich to pull that out. He was just, he has so much charisma and he's doing so much. He has a lot of variety. He's doing these splits on court, falling over. I mean, he's famous for falling over. Uh, he has a dog adoption business. Mm. It just feels like somebody like Davidovich could be a big star. It's just that... To ten- you. It, no, no, no. It's just that tennis doesn't invest in that many players at a time. They pick a few. Tennis the and, establishment, yes. tennis the commentary, tennis the fandom. The establishment, the PR wings of all the major networks and tours, they pick a few players and shove them down your throats. Right, and not the ones that you find personally hot. No. <laughs> the ones that I find uh, have a personality, have a game that I want to watch. And are hot. Sure. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be all curios all the time. Oh is what I'm God. saying. Because that's what it is. Who is down 5-1 in the second set right now? 5-2 now, yeah. Mm. Anyway, let's go back in the week a little bit. Day one, Fritzipas is out. Taylor Fritz is out to Holt. Tsitsipas is out to, out to Galan. Barely anybody noticed this because this was during the Serena night session. Literally during her match, reporters were asking, what's happening with Tsitsipas? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. Aren't you there? Nadal has, uh, you know, he had very slow starts against Hijikata, against Fornini. Things were looking very hairy against Fabio. He looked poor at, at certain spots. I mean, you, you were there, right? For that one? Some of it. Okay. There's scar tissue there for Rafa fans. Yes. I don't care how long in the tooth Fabio is, how unimpressive his recent results have been how much of a mercurial player he is he will always be the player who beat rafa from two sets down on arthur ash Mm -hmm. Mm. and we will always remember that yeah there just there seem to be a lot of nerves coming from rafa and just a, a lack of confidence for a lot of that match for the first most of the first two sets and of course, there's also this anxiety about his injury and how, you know, he's changed his service motion to accommodate the stomach thing. He hasn't played many matches. And we underestimate how much that is a burden because he does it so frequently. Later on in this Fonini match, something truly shocking happens. He bounces the racket off the court and it hits him in the bridge of his nose. I saw a lot at the tennis while I was there and I saw that as well. Yeah. And I texted you, I think, in the moment. I said, did... Because right, we were like, what is happening? I was like, what What just happened here? Did he really just hit himself in the face with his racket? Because mm-hmm. from where you were sitting, you probably couldn't actually see what was going on. Right? I was sitting behind the baseline at a slight angle to the right. And Rafa was at my baseline. I saw it happen in front of me looking oh, okay. down. Granted, I was in the 300s. But for me, when he got up immediately, dropped the racket, and went and laid down, 
That was the first thing that came to my mind, having watched The Point. Mm -hmm. And you sit there and you just think, my God, is is his slam season over because of another injury this time as freakish as they come? Right. Because he didn't just lay down. He basically collapsed at his chair. Uh, He tossed his racket, walked to the chair, kind of collapsed and laid down on the court. And then the TV camera, which you couldn't see, zoomed in and showed all of this blood coming out of his nose, Mm. right? And it turned out the cut doesn't actually look as bad as it initially looked like on TV, just because it was fresh. And when he came back up, you don't know, does he have a concussion? Like, is he even going to put a ball on the court? Because he seemed, the camera zooms in on his face, and his eyes look like they're on another planet, Mm -hmm. you know? A couple days later, he wins his... Third round match against Richard Gasquet. He's now 18-0 against Gasquet. Mm, six thing. love, six one, seven five, right? Something like that? It was. Yes. Yeah. It, the sets got progressively tighter. How could it not? <laughs> after the first two. <laughs> and he was interviewed afterward and he, he quipped that, yes, the nose is still there, thankfully, but just a little bit bigger. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been really bad. You know, it could have been a concussion mm-hmm. and... At that moment, if you can't continue, your season is over. What else? Just quickly, uh, you know, Medvedev has been flying through this first week, but now he has a blockbuster fourth-round match against Kyrgios, which we're currently following the score for. You will know what happens. Medvedev uh, followed Serena on two nights on Arthur Ashe. That is not a big deal, so we're not even going to address I mean, despite the kudos that some wanted to heap (laughs) upon him, it just calls to mind... Please, like... It calls to mind how quick we are to heap praise on men for, if not just doing the bare minimum, just simply not being assholes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you're speechless. I am, because like... Congrats, Daniel Medvedev, for knowing your place. And he and he was great. And he did. He was great. And that's fine. We yeah. just don't need to comment on it. It was weird. Um, on the women's side, it's, you know, it's redundant to say that it's wide open, but the defending champ went out in the first round of Cornet. Simona Halep went out, who a lot of people thought was a real contender for this title. <laughs> However, she has a horrible record at the U.S. Open, as we know. And I'm not saying that to be mean, but it should have probably tempered a lot of people's expectations, even though she won Toronto. Beatriz Haddad Maya loses to Bianca Andreescu, which I think tells you a lot about success on the tour versus success at the slams. Like, it, there's a really different mentality, and, and Bianca's won here before. Her success on the tour has been fairly recent as well. Yes, yes. So perhaps she will still translate oh, that totally. to slams. Right. It, I was just, I thought that Haddad Maya would beat Bianca. Mm-hmm. And Bianca won pretty straightforwardly. But then she ran into, she ran into Air Garcia. She <laughs> ran into Fly With Carol. <laughs> she ran into Turbo Speed. <laughs> Freight uh-huh. Train. French Express. <laughs> I mean, that was over in a flash. Yeah. But in this first week, you get, uh, you know, the defending champion, the the most recent U.S. Open champions all out early. By the third round, there were no former champions in the draw left. And By that, you mean Raducanu and Fernandez out 
both very early. So the runner-up last year, Fernanda's out early, Bianca's out, Serena's out. Now they're... And Emma well, is out as well. I, yeah. That's what I said. Oh, I missed that. I must not have <laughs> been paying good attention. The defending champion. Okay. Remember, Layla you, you did not win. You didn't say her by her name, though. <laughs> Layla did not win last year. Call her by her name. Okay. Uh, but the point is, well, and then you had the number two through four seeds out by the third round, mm-hmm. right? Contivate, Sakari, and Bedosa. But you get around... All, all not surprising, though. Right. And what I'm saying way. is that you get a round of 16 that's actually very, very strong. And kind of what's been happening. Right. I mean, this one's more so than a lot of those times because there are a lot of names that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. But this is this is the WTA. Yeah. What I'm saying is that this stuff is not... This is not chaotic, right? You're actually getting a round of 16 that's pretty true to form and really impressive. Two shout-outs before we end the episode. One to Alize Cornet. Not pronounced Alize Cornet. For some reason, all of the Brits have formed a consensus around the incorrect pronunciation of her name. She... <laughs> she has just prolonged her career with the best season of her life. <laughs> At least on the Grand Slam stage. Right, right. Making her first Slam quarterfinal in Australia, losing to Danielle Collins, having to play her again in the third round at this tournament, losing, unfortunately for her, but you see a crafty, dedicated, capable veteran who is still out here grinding and doing incredible things. And who had won her previous seven matches against top ten players in slams. Mm -hmm. She's a a giant killer. Cut from the same cloth as a Kanepi. Mm -hmm. And also, shout out to Zhang Shui. Yes, who reached the round of 16 in all three events. Doubles, mixed doubles, and singles. She just lost to Coco in singles, but she's still alive in both doubles events. It's It's a rare achievement these days. There are a few players who call time on their career at this tournament outside of Serena. I feel like that's befitting of a recap episode. We'll yeah. leave that. So we thank you for sticking with us in an unusually long episode. It'll be like maybe 15 to 20 minutes over or average 71.5 well, we'll minutes. We'll see what comes off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're very non-judicious with your chopping in the editing <laughs> process. You're just like, nope, 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 gone, gone. I listen back the very few times I do. I'm like, what happened? No, nope. Didn't like it. Yeah, maybe someday you'll hear the body serve cutting room floor. I think you buried those too. <laughs> You're like, never will this see the light of day. Thanks for listening. I am Jonathan and I'm excited to be back in... That's a lie. You don't I'm, have to I'm, say that. No, You're not. No, I'm not. Nope. That that was a lie. It was fantastic being away. Not from you, but away. Right. <laughs> you and can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. We are the Body Serve. You can find everything Body Serve related at linktree.com slash the Body Serve. Special shout out to everybody that I met or who came up to say hi in Flushing. That was a real treat for me. And thank you to everybody for continuing to support us and the show. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.